Welcome to the Send Church Podcast, where we are going over the chronological Bible study. And in this particular episode, we will touch on Abram's beginning years of his relationship with God. So we are going to take our time and examine some of the significant stories of Abram's life before he becomes Abraham in chapter 18 of the book of Genesis. When Abram went out of the land of his father, the Bible talks about how he traveled with Lot, and Lot was offered by Abram an opportunity to choose the land that he wanted to live in. We touched on that in the previous episode, and how Abram delivers Lot out of the hand of these pagan armies. Now, what's really awesome about Abram is that he's referred to for the first time in the entire Bible, the word Hebrew is used in Genesis chapter 14, verse 13. It says, and there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite brother of Eshel and brother of Anner, and these were confederate with Abram. Abram knew how to form relationships with people, but did not allow that what the Bible calls a confederacy. He did not allow that to affect his relationship with God. And so he delivers Lot out of the situation. Now, Abram being called a Hebrew for the first time that the Bible mentions this word is important because the word Hebrew in Hebrew means the one or ones from beyond. The pagan nations would use this word Hebrew to distinguish foreigners from the Hebrews. In other words, pagan nations called other pagan nations by their name. And they would call foreigners, foreigners. But amongst foreigners, the pagan nations would call the Hebrews, Hebrews. They did not call the Hebrews just plainly foreigners. There was an extra layer of distinction that the Hebrews had upon them. And we see it first in Abram. Abram is referred for the first time as a Hebrew in a situation where he's delivering a family member from a bad situation that that family member got themselves in. I think it points us to the principle that Jesus said, that by this shall all the world know that you are my disciples by your love one toward another. I really believe that the Lord wants to distinguish his church amongst all churches that people of people that claim themselves to follow God. I really believe the Lord has a distinction and a place of separation that is for his people that are not willing to just be different than the world, but they're willing to be separate unto God. We see this 
from the days of Abram. And the Bible distinguishes to us in the New Testament that we are called to be, in Romans and Galatians, seed of Abraham or children of Abraham. And by being children of Abraham, we ought to emulate the faith of Abraham. And the man that Abram, and becoming Abraham, was called by God to be. So, it's important for us to realize that if we are to be children of God, the God Almighty, the one that's revealed to us in the scriptures, we're not just going to be different. We're going to be more than different. We're not just going to be separate people that don't take on the customs and cultures of this world. We're going to be a people that is more distinct than distinct. We're going to be people of the Spirit and the Word of God. Not of denomination, not of labels and traditions of men. The people who truly have a distinction marker upon them. That the world knows these people are more than different. They follow the one mighty God of the Old Testament and the New Testament that has been revealed in Jesus Christ. So the Lord confirms time and time again with Abram, the covenant he's going to make with him. And throughout the beginning years of Abram's life and relationship with the Lord, he has a lot of growing pains because he asks the Lord questions time and time again as to how this promise from God is going to come to pass. In fact, there's even a humorous moment in the journey where Sarai is questioning the process herself. She's questioning how the promise is going to come to pass. And the story is actually found in Genesis chapter 17, where the Bible says Abram was 99 years old and the Lord appears to him and again confirms the covenant. God is asking how, how is this going to happen? How is this going to happen? But in the process, the Lord does something very interesting. He says in Genesis chapter 17, verse four, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name anymore be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham for a father of many nations. Have I made thee? It's pretty awesome how the Lord calls us now what we are destined by his grace to become later on. We see this with Peter. A lot of people have noted that Peter was having revelation of the identity of Christ, calling him the son of the living God in Matthew 16. And the Lord responds back to him saying, and thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. But that wasn't the first time that the Lord tells Peter who he is. And we see here the grace and mercy of God because we do not first see ourselves 
and who we can become in God when we see who Jesus is first. It's interesting because God is merciful in allowing people that don't know really who he is to see who they can be in God. Because in John 1, at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry that we have record of, that Jesus is made aware, well, could I say Peter was made aware of Jesus by his brother Andrew. It's an interesting read in John 1. And Andrew tells Peter, hey, let's go meet this Messiah that we're hearing about. And when Peter shows up, the Lord looks at him and calls him Peter. He tells him who he is and can be in God. Everybody else would call him Simon. Jesus did call him Simon at times, but it would also include Peter. Why? Because we see that God is merciful in telling us and showing us who we can be in him. And when we give ourselves to knowing who he is, we ultimately will become who we are in him because we properly know who he is. And this is beautiful because this is where we see the revelation of God and ourselves in the unity of our relationship with God. So, Abram experienced this same principle in his life. And he's no longer called Abram, but he's called Abraham. And God contextualizes the promise that he's been speaking to Abram now in the identity that God has given him now of Abraham. And Abraham, he falls upon his face in Genesis chapter 17, verse 17. And he says, uh, he, he falls and he, on his face and he laughs and he says in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abram said unto God, O oh, that Ishmael might live forever, or might live before thee. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall, be, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. So back in verse 15, the Lord also changes the identity of Sarai, which is now Sarah. And he says, the Lord says, I will bless her and give the son also to her. That's a reference to the fact that a son was given to Hagar. But the Bible says that the Lord says that Sarah shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. So, of course, this is a messianic prophecy, but also a prophecy that's fulfilled through different kings later on in the Bible. So God changes the identity of both Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah. And we see here that God is merciful to the victim still that of a previous situation of Hagar. And she is blessed by God along with her son Ishmael in verse 20. And God 
says that he's going to have a blessing for Ishmael, but his covenant will be with Isaac. This is important for us because blessing does not equal covenant. Covenant always comes with blessing, but blessing does not mean covenant. Similar to how a square is a rectangle, but a rectangle is not a square. That having a covenant with God will bring blessing, but being blessed by God does not mean I have covenant with God. And a lot of people have thought that because they've been blessed by God, that they are in right standing with God. That is not true. I am grateful that people are blessed by God in God's enduring grace and mercy. But blessing does not equal covenant. Covenant was established by blood that was shed and circumcision that was applied and change of lifestyle that reflected both the call of the sacrifice that was made and the commitment of the circumcision that was performed. That's what we see throughout the Old Testament. And they would live by faith as a result of that which they established with God. And these principles still exist in the New Testament. That we have blood shed by Jesus Christ, a circumcision of the heart that is reflected by being born again of water and of the Spirit, and a lifestyle thereafter that reflects the commitment that was initiated through the born-again experience. The same principle. It's just manifested differently in the New Testament with the gospel of Jesus Christ and obedience to the gospel. But the Old Testament, we see those same principles taught, exemplified through the law that God had given them. But it was not sufficient because the book of Hebrews says that the blood of goats and livestock was not sufficient for the sin that was performed by the people of God. Only the blood of Jesus was sufficient. So that's why they would do that to roll the punishment of their sins one year forward until Christ would come. They were looking forward to Christ's sacrifice. And so they were saved in Christ's future sacrifice. That's how people of the Old Testament were saved. But in the New Testament, we look back to Christ and we are saved through obedience of the gospel that empowers us to depend looking back on what Jesus did. So, we see in Abraham that 
there is the mercy of God upon Ishmael, but the covenant of God with Isaac. And God calls him friend in Genesis chapter 18 to really show Abraham that he's not, that God is not like the false gods of the land of his fathers. Abraham was continuing to discover the nature and character of the Almighty God. Because no God of Abraham's father and his background would be willing or had a doctrine or had some relationship with humanity where they were called friend. Abraham was called friend by God. Abraham laughs, doubting the promise in his heart. And then Sarah laughs in verse 12 of Genesis 18. She's wondering to herself, how is this going to come to pass? Now we see here something very interesting that Abraham's doubt and his struggle and his wrestle with doubt is reflected in his wife. Because the truth of the matter is what we may allow in our lives personally can affect our families. And it does affect our families. We have to be mindful of letting the Lord do his work in us so that there are not negative consequences for those in our family. And yet the Lord confirms to Abraham and Sarah that he's going to perform this work. And here in the midst of all this struggle, a personal battle of faith, that news of Lot comes to the surface that he's in big trouble in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now you would think that Lot would have learned his lesson by needing and getting the deliverance of his uncle Abraham in previous chapters. But Lot gets in trouble because he decides to live in and near Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is what we read about in Genesis chapter 19. And Abraham has these series of has a series of intercessory prayer meetings with the Lord. And Abraham comes to the Lord and he tells uh, he tells the Lord in verse 23 of Genesis 18, "Will you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? If there's 50 righteous in the city, will you destroy it?" And God says about Sodom to Abraham, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous, I will spare it. And Abraham comes back and he says, what about 45? And the Lord says, I won't do it for 45. And Abraham comes again and says, what about 30? And the Lord says, I won't do it if 30. And then Abraham says, what about 20? And the Lord says, I won't do it. 
And Abraham pushes it again and says, what about 10? And the Bible says in verse 33 of Genesis 18, and the Lord went his way after saying, I will not destroy it for 10's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham and Abraham returned into his place. Now, there's a major lesson about the importance of intercessory prayer here. Those lessons are that Abraham pushed the envelope. What does that mean? If you've ever gotten into a conversation where you're negotiating something, you will discover that there are opportunities to push the envelope and to establish terms that are more fitting in the direction that you might want or in the direction that the other party might want. And Abraham learned something about the Almighty God and that's if he could get God to not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for 45, for 50, then he could do it for 45. And then on and on and on. And this shows us that when we go into intercessory prayer and we're praying for people, we're praying for cities, we're praying for nations, praying for our world, that God is willing to, could I say, negotiate with us as far as our faith will go. Now, we are not called to negotiate with the devil, but it could be that in intercessory prayer, we have an opportunity to negotiate with God as far as our faith will go. Because ultimately, we see that though Abraham has a family attachment to Sodom and Gomorrah, we see something about the nature of God in this story of Genesis chapter 18 and 19. That although Abraham had prayed for 10 at the end of this prayer meeting, ultimately, the ones who were saved were only four. Lot, his wife, she dies on the way out. And Lot's daughters. This is crazy because we see that God still pushed the envelope when Abraham pushed the envelope. Because ultimately we get out of a relation we get out of our relationship with God what we put in. And God will meet us at our level of commitment. Abraham pushed and pushed and pushed. And then we see that when Abraham pushes the envelope, God pushes it back. And God saves further than what Abraham prayed for. Now, let us not use this as an excuse to the fact that Abraham prayed little. No, Abraham prayed much. And God still went beyond the much of Abraham's prayers. This is really a call 
to more prayer than more prayer. This is really a call to more intercession than the, than the intercession we have known up to this point. The Bible says that the Lord leaves. He goes his way. This is really another lesson on prayer. And that's do we decide when prayer is over? Or does God decide when prayer is over? The Bible says in the New Testament that we are to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians. Because we don't decide when prayer is over. God does. And really, we're not called to have a prayer life. We're called to have a life of prayer. God has more in store for us. We've just got to be willing to learn how to have a relationship with him through the different modes and channels of prayer. Because prayer can affect a family, a city, a nation, and our world. So the Bible says that two angels come to Sodom at night. And Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And this is Genesis 19. And long story short, Lot and his wife and two daughters are delivered out of Sodom. Earlier I had said five were delivered. The Lord delivers four. And then the wife of Lot she decides to look back. Very, very sad story because Lot put himself in this situation. And he suffers loss in a situation that he refused to allow the Lord to lead him. He was led by his eyes. And it ends up resulting in the loss of his wife and really the perversion of his daughters later on because his daughters, while Lot gets drunk later on, his daughters decide to have relations with their dad, Lot, while he's drunk. And out of that lineage comes forth a lot of issues and children that are just really deep in sin read about their lineage and God is merciful and there are people who come to know the God of the heaven and earth and the Old Testament and New Testament of course throughout the Old Testament we read about how descendants of that God has mercy on them because really they didn't get to choose how they came into the earth but it's a very sad story as to one decision that Lot makes causes a terrible, terrible generational gap in commitment to God. And so Lot loses much and the angels take Lot and his daughters and wife out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And his wife, they they were given instructions to not look back and his wife looks back and she turns into a pillar of salt In Genesis chapter 19, verse 26. And the angels tell Lot that the Lord had prepared a mountain for them. And Lot 
he knows the area and he tells the angels in verse 18 of Genesis 19, he says to the statement that the angels had said, let us go to the mountain. Lot says, not so, my Lord, behold, my, thy servant has found grace in thy sight and thou has magnified thy mercy, which you showed unto me by saving my life. I cannot escape to the mountain lest some evil take me and I die. Behold, now this city is near to flee and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one and my soul shall live? This is so sad because Lot settles for less. Zoar means insignificant or small. And God had prepared a mountain for the family. But Lot wants the insignificant. What areas of life, as children of God, are we settling for lesson? When God has prepared greater things for us. And God, in his enduring mercy, allows these angels to let Lot go to Zoar. And of course we see that nothing is benefited in Lot's life and family by going to Zoar. And so God sends judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, yet Jesus says that upon Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment, there's going to be more mercy for them than for people who should have known better in terms of who God is and did not repent of their wickedness. Jesus said that. There are people that had been affiliated with the Jewish faith in the days of Jesus Christ that judgment was going to be harsher for them than for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah because they refused to accept and receive the Messiah who was in their midst physically. God have mercy on us. With religious faith exposure of God and the, the word of God that we have had in our lives, that we would reject Jesus wanting to manifest himself in our midst and have a harsher judgment at judgment day than Sodom and Gomorrah, a city plagued with perversion, homosexuality, a, a city plagued with debauchery. And yet, a harsher judgment for religious, traditional people who refuse to allow the Lord to be God in their lives. Folks, the truth of the matter is that religious tradition can condemn us harsher than perversions of the world. Religious stubbornness and self-righteousness can condemn us harsher 
than the deepest, darkest sins that everyone wants to bash in our modern day. That's what Jesus said. And the Bible says that Peter said, Righteous Lot vexed his soul every day in Sodom. Because some people, they might be righteous in an area of life and might be even called righteous by God. But they put themselves in these situations that are so compromising. And those compromises always have consequences that are inevitable and will affect us and our families. So Abraham prays and Lot is delivered in verse 20, chapter 20 of Genesis. Abraham has a hiatus in Gerar. And he does a similar thing that he did in Egypt when he was Abram. And that was that he tries to conceal the fact that Sarah is his wife. And the Lord punishes Abimelech, who was king in that area. And Abimelech had been looking to really see if he could take Sarah in as a mistress or a wife or he was attracted to her at the very least and god comes to abimelech in a dream the bible says in genesis chapter 20 verse 3 and says to him you're a dead man for the woman you have taken is a man's wife and abimelech says something very interesting he says lord would you slay also a righteous nation and uh Abimelech tells the Lord that Abraham said that Sarah was his sister. So Abimelech's trying to clean his hands before God. And Abimelech was somebody who apparently feared God. And so the Lord basically gives the note, drops a hint to Abimelech to not take Sarah. The Bible says in verse 7 of Genesis 20, Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet. And he's going to pray for you, and you will live. And so we see here that Abraham is called a prophet by God. And Abimelech rises in the morning. And restores unto Abraham. He's basically like, why did you do this to me? Come on. Why did you put me in this situation? And Abimelech is prayed for by Abraham. And Abimelech is healed because he wasn't able to have any children. And he's blessed. It's a beautiful story. And uh, we see that Abimelech feared God, receives healing is able to have children and they move on and in genesis chapter 21 isaac is born now we will get into in the next episode how isaac he grew up 
the stories he heard, and ultimately what the Lord requires of Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. There is something that the New Testament, as referenced earlier, says, and that's that we are called to be seed or children of Abraham because of the faith that we ought to have that reflects the faith of Abraham. Abraham was not a Jew. He was a Hebrew, previously a Gentile, that was called into covenant with God. Which shows us that covenant with God is not a result of being a Jew. Covenant with God is a result of being willing to step out of where we have been and come into where God is calling us, which is revealed by his word. And so, being children of Abraham now in the New Testament is really a fulfillment of the principle that the gospel is open to all, whether Jew or non-Jew. Covenant with God previously with family or not covenant with God previously in family. And so we see here that the Bible says it this way. That in Christ Jesus, there's neither Jew nor Greek. Ethnicity and lineage and background does not matter. We all need to come into Christ personally and individually. So we will get into the next episode as to how the birth of of Isaac comes to pass and what God requires of Abraham. Thank you for joining this episode with Send the Church Podcast on Chronological Bible Study. Be blessed in Jesus' name.